This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices. Today, my guest is Martika Wiley. She is an author, podcaster, and grief coach. Her path to become a grief coach became clear sometime after she wrote the book, Having Fun with God, a personal journey about death, loss, and how she's handled grief that transcended into peace of mind. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Martika. Thank you so much, Victoria, for having me. It's an honor. I know from reading just your information that you shared with me that, and as you know, obviously from your personal experience and I as well, and for many guests that I've had on here, grief usually isn't just doesn't come once in our lifetime. And often by the time we reach adulthood, we've maybe had several that we may not even think about, you know, a pet loss for one early in childhood is usually often a first loss. So let's start in your childhood and the losses that you have experienced along the way and how they've shaped you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for letting me share. Um, my first loss was when I was 15 years old and my mom committed suicide. I had no experience with death or loss at that time. So it hit me pretty hard. It was really, um, didn't want to live anymore. I was quite suicidal. I had a divine you know, experience that prevented me from killing myself. And, um, but her death kind of had a domino effect because um, her mom, my grandmother, uh, took her death pretty hard. I think she might have felt a bit guilty, you know, because there was, you know, events leading up to her committing suicide. You know, people sometimes do reach out for help. And, you know, if others don't see it as, well, you, you can get over it, you know, it's not a big deal and that sort of thing. And, and then, then they lose the, their child, even though she was an adult, <clears throat> it was just a bit of a, a domino effect. Like my Nana, she had an asthma attack. And then two years after her death, my, my grandfather uh, passed away. He just kind of gave up living. So it was like cataracts. And then it was, you know, his kidneys and it was his liver, you know, and once a, a major organ starts going in, you know, at, at, at the age of, you know, in his early seventies, you know, you know, when somebody's kind of given up and that's, they want to go, right. You cannot try to save people in that aspect. You have to respect, okay. The, you know, he would always say, you know, I've lived a good long life and, and here's what I want you to do with the money that you'll inherit and that sort of thing. Um, and then about two years after my grandfather died, my uncle died in a car accident. He was pretty young. He was 42, which was interesting because my mom was also 42 when she died. And uh, so 
after my uncle passing, I realized, you know, I don't have a lot of family on my mother's side. It's a, it's a smaller knit family. So I decided to find my father. My parents uh, divorced when I was young. I was about three years old. And so in search of my father, and I knew he had been, he was from the Bahamas. So he'd be in the Bahamas some, somewhere. And it's a fairly small compared to Canada. So I didn't think it'd be hard finding him. But it took two months to find him. And when I did, I was informed that he died two days ago. So I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. You know, I thought, what well, you know, I, I wondered about God. I'm not religious, but I do believe in spirit. <clears throat> so, um, but um, when my father had passed, that's when I realized I had, <clears throat> excuse me, four older sisters and they had children. And um, so it was interesting. I had lost all the, these people, all these family members, but then also gained family members. And, you know, sitting with that, because the voice did say, God doesn't take away without giving back. And I thought, okay, well, that that makes sense uh, to me. Uh, At the time, I was still kind of devastated, but I got to meet all four of my sisters and their children. And it was like instant family going from a, you know, raised in a small knit family to having like several siblings and and then their kids and then cousins and you know just extended family it was like whoa trying to meet everyone <laughs> and remember their names it was it was it was quite it was quite something it it kind of took away from all the grief of the loss that i had but then again in life you just you never get away from it you know i thought after my my father had died i wouldn't have to experience a loss for a while you know and then a few years well, several years after my father died, my cousin Nikki committed suicide. She was 15 and she hung herself. I found her. And um, that was, again, um, very traumatic because, you know, you're not expecting to find someone hanging there. And um, <clears throat> even though there were signs of her, you know, threatening to do something, I didn't I didn't believe that she would, you know, how teenagers could go, I'm going to go, I'm going to run away, I'm going to not coming back, you know, she was very rebellious. And so, yeah, that that took its toll on me. I Instead of getting therapy or counseling, I took off to the Bahamas. I just wanted out of Canada, <laughs> just away from it all. And um, learned about you know my roots my my father's side uh, since you know he wasn't around I still have family there and um it wasn't until I came back from the Bahamas in 2006 actually that I actually uh, started writing it was automatic writing it was you know I would felt like I was being used like spirit was using me to write and with that came the book having fun with God and um, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of healing, a lot of understanding, uh, peace of mind. Like, it was the greatest gift. It was better than, you know, I mean, counseling is good. But at that time, I just wasn't feeling feeling the need for it. But I found the writing to be super therapeutic. I did not know that. No one told me, hey, do some writing, you know, uh, even if it's journaling. <clears throat> Um, you know, writing what you're grateful for, or just how you feel, even if you're angry, sometimes my writing wouldn't be writing, it would just be a bunch of lines that have been very angrily 
marked on the page, you know, just to get some of that anger out. But um, it, then it led me to helping others with their grief. Um, I took a couple of uh, courses in um, college. One was just psychology 101. The other one was uh, personal growth, but we touched on the um, stages of grief. And then we were to write about, you know, when we lost someone and writing something out and reading it out loud to yourself is one thing. But then when you go to class and you're asked to stand up in front of the class and read it out loud. Whoa. Yeah. Emotions big time. And of course, I ran to my seat after I was done. I didn't want to take any questions. (laughs) Uh, But people were amazed. Like, how did you get through all that? And I thought, well, it must have been the grace of God because... I mean, I was very suicidal. I was very reckless. I look back and I and I think about some of the things that I've done, and like, how did I how did I live through that? You know, driving in the in the in a blizzard up north, doing 120 kilometers an hour in the fast lane while everybody's driving slow. I just didn't give two flying figurines. You know, I'm like, whatever. If I die, that's okay. Like, I just had a death wish. And I think people around me could see it because when my cousin Nikki died, uh, some of the family friends thought it was me that had committed suicide. Yeah, so I thought, okay, so y'all saw that I was suicidal and didn't do anything about it. That's really good to know, you know, but sometimes people think, well, it's out of our hands or out of my hands and whatever they're thinking. I mean, there's no judgment around it. But now because I've started to thrive after talking to spirit, you know, how could I serve? What, what do I know a lot about that I've experienced that I can help others? And um, a voice saying, you know, a lot about death and loss kept coming up. I didn't want to teach about death and loss. I was heavily involved in the music industry. I have recorded a few songs and um, you know, music was my life. It made me feel good. It's a, you know, part of the healing process as well. But um yeah, I just, it, death and loss kept coming up and, you know, the music industry thing, you know, there was always a brick road at the end of the, a brick wall at the end of the road. So I kind of threw my hands up in the air and I thought, okay, you know, I'm here to serve you. Your wish is my command. I would say to the universe, your wish is my command. So this is, yeah. And of course I've uh, started a podcast uh, about a year and a half ago and um, I speak to other um, psychologists, mediums, death doulas, <clears throat> caregivers, and, you know, discussing about ways to help others in their grief and just sharing experiences and people that have overcome it. And overcoming meaning they're no longer in the depths of despair. They've taken that grief and they've flourished from it. And I'm hoping that others that are feeling, you know, like, like they don't want to live anymore, that there is hope that they too can overcome these, these negative feelings or confused feelings. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And it is a lot mm-hmm. in a young life. Your mother died when you were 15. Um, how old were you when you found your cousin, Nikki? Um, I was 33. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of loss in that time. Can I circle back to what you said about Um, having a divine experience, because I'm really curious about that. Can you speak to that a little bit? Okay, yeah, sure. Well, I guess it was about maybe a few days, maybe maybe a week after my mom passed. I was first year of high school. Um, She died about a week before the March break. So I had that week off school for to grieve. And then then there was the March break. And 
I was alone in the apartment. Uh, my stepfather was always away. He was, you know, at work or whatnot. And I just felt so empty. I felt like a walking corpse, you know, I didn't want to be here anymore. I, I couldn't imagine living without her. So we tend to sometimes follow people. Like if somebody has hung themselves, well, we want to hung our, hang ourselves. My mom, she jumped off a bridge and landed in the provincial park. And so we lived in a high rise building. It was, uh, we lived on the 20th floor and uh, the windows didn't have screens on them, though we were fighting with the landlord about putting screens in because anyone could just fall out of there. And so I just opened the sliding window and I stood in the frame and all it would have taken is one step, one step, 20 stories. I'd be with her. And I took that step and a force of some kind pushed me back into the living room and uh, a wave of this knowingness and peace came over me. And a voice said, you're not meant to follow and therefore must live on. And the feeling that I got from that was it didn't matter what I did, there would always be something or someone to stop me from from ending my life. And it's funny, because in my late 20s and 30s, I put to the test, I put myself in some dangerous situations just to see if that was true. Sounds crazy. But when you're suicidal like you know reckless then you're you're willing i knew physically i couldn't kill myself so i just tried other ways i tried offending god according to catholic religion offending god is you know you go to hades for that sort of thing so i thought okay well hell's got to be better than this place so i would try to offend god through thoughts deeds and actions and it was Excuse me, I'm emotional. Um, living in downtown Toronto in my late 20s, and I used to stumble home from the bars at night. And this one evening, I remember, you know, going into my apartment thinking, why am I still here? How, how come I'm still alive? Have, not, have I not offended you? And then I heard a voice saying, I love you unconditionally. You can never offend me. And that's when I knew that this God was truly unconditionally loving and it didn't matter what I did I mean I could have went out and killed thousands of people and I still would have been loved and so I stopped offending God (laughs) because it wasn't working (laughs) and I just kind of accepted the fate that you know I'm still here there's some reason why I did not know what that was because you know at that age I was still kind of figuring things out and um so I just uh you know, did a lot of meditating. I started reading um, Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. I read book one, two, and three, uh, several more of his books. And that just kind of opened my mind a little bit more about our relationship with spirit. And um, so I I just started to, you know, to live more to, because who knows when I'm going to go. And so I better appreciate what I have and um, just, you know, being able to to talk to spirit and not just that, but knowing that my mom is still with me spiritually, she, she um, very much so. And, um, and I guess I think the more I acknowledge her, um, the less she, she sends signs. I know she's with that. She used to send signs quite a bit. She used to 
mess with the lights, I guess you could say the flickering of lights, you know, I had the, you know, the ceiling light on and that was flickering on and off. So I tried to adjust it and it would kept flickering. And I thought, well, something's wrong with the circuit board or something. So I turned it off and I put a lamp on. Well, then that started flickering. And, and I, and I said to her, I said, mom, if that's you, thank you for letting me know you're here, but that's freaking me out. So stop, stop doing that. (laughs) So she did. (laughs) So she did. Now I've not gone to mediums to talk about, you know, my mom and what she has to say or anything like that, probably because I, you know, was open and, you know, she would show up in dreams, that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, she's very much, um, you know, in my life, she's, she's, you know, they can be very influential. Uh, our loved ones on the other side. And and it just goes to show you that, you know, you can't kill energy. We're spiritual beings having a human, human experience and we're immortal. So anyone says that we're mortal and we're not, you know, we can be easily whatever. Um, well, that's their story, but <clears throat> spirit does live on. I've had uh, my grandfather show up in a dream. I've had my uncle show up in a dream. I've had my father show up in dreams. And, um, and so anytime I see them in dreams, like if I'm feeling there's one, one moment, I think it was around the time Nikki died and I was feeling so sorrowful. I was just suffering. I've never felt such sorrow. I cried myself to sleep, but I don't remember ever doing that. Well, maybe when I was a kid and I wanted to stay up late, <clears throat> but this was a real sorrow. And when I um I was sleeping in the dream. My father was lying next to me and he had his hand on my on my waist. And as I was waking up, he was fading away. And I had the most joyful feeling. It was like a 180, like going to bed sorrowful, crying myself to sleep, not knowing why I'm here. I can't kill myself. You know, why did Nikki get to kill herself? And I didn't. I mean, I was really angry with God about a few things. And, um, in that morning I was, I mean, I was skipping, like, I was like, woo, like, you know, like jubilation. And I remember calling my sister, telling her, I said, I saw our dad and uh, he came to me last night because he came to her too. And, you know, he would say to her, you know, everything is going to be okay. Don't worry. Everything's all right. Cause my sister used to worry quite a bit. And so it's, I find it comforting when they come to us and let us know that they're okay and that they're watching over us and guiding us and helping us. <clears throat> so um, that, that, that has helped me, um, you know, along with, uh, as far as, you know, grief, because no, I don't think anyone wants to stay in that kind of pain forever, but, you know, they say in life, no pain, no gain which is so true to be happy all the time and content. We wouldn't grow if that was the case. So pain really serves as a catalyst for growth. So once I understood that on a deeper level, I'm like, oh, okay, this all makes sense to help me so that I can help others and, you know, just become stronger. I've been taking notes because um, there's so many good things you mentioned that I want to circle back to and, I love how you said first that you can't kill energy. Like, okay, I've never heard that. No one's ever said that. You're the first person that's ever said it in that way, like about our loved ones who have departed, like their energy. Um, That resonates with me. I'm a Reiki master and I 
understand energy and things, but I'd never really thought of it in that way. Right. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you too. So what was your relationship with God spirit, whatever you call it, if you're listening to this, what was your relationship with that, that knowing, right. That you experienced Mm -hmm. after that moment of standing in the window, what was your relationship before that? Like, did you grow up in a faith-based home? And Yeah, my mom was very into going to church every Sunday. It was a Catholic, Catholic religion. <clears throat> and I used to talk to God all the time. And um, I would hear a voice answer me. Sometimes in this one particular moment, I was the first year of high school. This would have been maybe months before my mom passed. Uh, just as I was dozing off to go to sleep, I heard a voice say, what are the primary colors? And I thought about it for a moment. And I thought, Hmm, red, yellow, blue. Um, I thought about green. I thought, no, green is yellow and blue together. Orange, no, that's red and yellow together. So I thought red, yellow, and, and blue. And I heard that's right. And I thought, well, why are you asking me this question? And I heard nothing. I went to sleep. You know, the next morning, the first class was art class. And the teacher asked, what are the primary colors? You know, I was too shy to answer that question, even though I knew the answer. No one wanted to answer. We're so shy. We're teenagers are so cute and we're so shy. Finally, somebody answered and we're all like, you know, we all breathe the sigh of relief. But that was kind of our relationship. Like this, this one would help me out. It would, like my stepfather, for example, was very abusive. Okay. He used to hit us. And um, I heard a voice say, the next time he comes at you, run to the front door and go down the stairs. And I did. I did. When he tried to come after me, do you know that he stopped uh, abusing me after that? And so I don't know whether at that time I would call it God. I did not know what that voice was because according to the Catholic priest at that time saying, if you're hearing a voice, then it's probably the devil tricking you. You had to be ordained. You had to be male. I mean, it wasn't said straight out like that but that's what the feeling you got so I remember going home from church one time and asking it are you the devil I need to know and that I got no answer so I came off my bed and I was walking out of my room and I heard I'm not the devil and I thought even if you are you're you're good you don't say anything you know to me for me to do anything harmful to anyone but after my mom died the relationship I had with God was a little estranged I thought God had a weird sense of humor because I did pray for God to help my mom get out of the marriage. And she did. She did get out. But it took her life. And I felt uh, very angry. I used to play a song by Depeche Mode called Blasphemous Rumors. And the chorus went, I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think that God's got a sick sense of humor. And when I die, I I expect to find him laughing. And I would play that song over and over again. And I'd say, God, this one's for you. Yeah. And I would dedicate it to God every time. And it was just estranged. And for a while, I just didn't really acknowledge. Um, and of course, I stopped going to church because um, according to Catholic religion, c- committing suicide is a, is a sin and you go to straight to hell. I never believed my mom went to hell for wanting to get out of a terrible relationship. So I rejected a lot of what was being said. And I was always kind of, some of it didn't make any any sense to me. 
you know, uh, for example, you know, abs, uh, abstaining from sex, priests who are not allowed to have sexual intercourse. And I thought, well, we're sexual beings. How are they, if they're, if they're repressing that, I mean, I didn't know anything at, you know, 10, 11, 15, whatever years old. But my intuition was saying that would probably breed abnormal sexual behavior. And then, of course, it started to come out uh, in my early 20s, a movie called The Boys of St. Vincent, which was, I believe, a Canadian um, made-for-TV movie. And it was about men in their 40s coming out. They were altar boys. They were molested by their priest. And that did not surprise me. I did not watch the movie because it just I couldn't. I just couldn't. You know, just the thought of it just and then I just left the religion after that because there were too many contradictions. It didn't make sense. And um, I didn't believe that's how God was. But now I have a better relationship with spirit. I do talk to God all the time, whether you call it Allah, Buddha, Allah. Um, It's the same thing. It's spirit source energy. And um, but yeah, I just turn to it all the time for guidance and wisdom, because the world's pretty darn crazy. And um, I think it's so important to listen to your intuition, which is spirit talking to that feeling that gut feeling, that hunch, whatever you want to call it. Because anytime I don't listen to it, I kick myself. Why didn't I lock the door before I left? Now somebody's broken in. <laughs> you know, I never locked it before. But that one morning, it says, hey, you should lock it. And I'm like, no, I never had an issue before. And that's what happened. Now, nothing was taken. And even if something was taken, Spirit would remind me, you can't take anything that some, you can't take from someone who always has. Mm. And so if somebody takes something from me, Spirit, that voice would say, you can't take from someone who always has and they obviously needed it more than you did so you just kind of let it go i love that what do you think has been the greatest teacher of your grief in in all of this well, that's a good question I have to think on that probably we're all going to go that that we don't know when though i mean it's we assume that when we're older that we're going to go before somebody who's younger and that's always not the case. That's not always the case. I could be hit by a bus tomorrow or some kind of freak accident or have a reaction to something I never thought I would, you know. But just knowing that we are spiritual beings and that we we do still live on, we're still creating in the afterlife because I've had conversations with people that, oh, once I'm dead, I'm dead. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to be one of those ghost people, you know, that just go into the light. That's where all the fun is. That's where God is. I've experienced um, the light um, more than one occasion. And most people that have experienced it will say they're not afraid of death. It's like the easiest thing to do. You know, Um, it's like a breath of fresh air. One teacher was saying, it's like, you know, loosening up a tight shoe. It's my experience of it because I was so you know, really wanting to go home. I didn't want to be here. And I'd always talk to God, like, why? I mean, come on, you've got all these children, you know, you don't need all all of us here. Like, can I not go home? And um, I did have a glimpse of it. I think spirit was like, okay, we'll give you a taste test. It was amazing. All I saw was nothing but light. It was like a soft yellow, but it was everywhere. And that's all I saw. And that's, and I was, I had no body. I was formless. I didn't have to worry about Uh, dressing or eating or paying bills, you know, being anywhere at a certain time. 
It was amazing. I mean, the words, words are so limiting compared to the experience. And ever since then, to be honest, I was a little bit more suicidal and I wasn't sure if God was just having fun with me, <laughs> you know, like, let's see how this one reacts, you know, give her a taste test, you know, kind of peeking at your Christmas presents the night before and getting really all excited about it. It's really something to look forward to. I know that sounds morbid, but who really wants to live to be 150, you know, when your your body starts to, you can't do anything anymore. So you kind of want that. You just want to be able to experience just going home. And the other thing too, and this was from my father's uh, passing, um, we all get a homecoming party. My father, about two days after he died, came to me in a cloud and he had his arms stretched out as if to embrace me. And of course, at that time, I was still angry with him. So I pushed him away. But then he's very determined. He came back a few days later. And in the dream, he was, uh, we were in the kitchen. He was leaning against the counter with the sink. And I was leaning against the other counter. It's an L-shaped counter. And I looked behind where the, the dining room table was. And there was empty dishes, uh, you know, they were filled, there was crumbs, there was a bit of sauce left over. And then when I looked around the living room, all the furniture had been pushed against the wall, and there was balloons and streamers, and empty glasses and bottles, you could tell a party had taken place. And I looked at him. And I realized, you know, he was trying to invite me to his homecoming party. And I said to him, I'm so sorry, Mr. Party, because of my anger. And he said, that's okay. You're here now. You know, you're, you made it to the after party. And I said, yeah, that's right. This is after the party. And, and once that, once I forgave him, I started feeling hungry. I said, is there any, anything left over? He says, no, all the food's been eaten, but there's a, a bit of popcorn in that bowl behind you. And I looked and there was, there was a, a bowl of popcorn there. And I'm not a huge popcorn eater. And so I looked at the popcorn. I thought popcorn for breakfast, because it was morning time. And I said, what kind of father are you offering your daughter popcorn for breakfast? And then I went off about this popcorn for breakfast. And I stormed out of the kitchen. And he says, you're so stubborn. And I said, where do you think I get it from? And the dream ended. I woke up jubilated. I was like, even though we had a little bit of a spat, it was just, you know, when people spat, it's really their way of loving each other. You know, you see the love behind all the bickering. And I thought, wow, I saw my father again. That was awesome. And I have now experienced that we do have a homecoming party because I've heard it before in other uh, readings, if you will, other um, programs, if you will, other conversations of people that have challenged, ch- uh, channeled other spirits saying, yes, we get a homecoming party. And um, so I'm looking forward to mine. I think it'd be awesome. Everyone's going to be there and everyone's invited. Yeah. Yeah. This homecoming party. So how do you live with that deep desire to go home? Oh, well, it's, well, I try to remind myself to enjoy this moment, enjoy why I'm here and really kind of do what I'm supposed to do here if that makes any sense. And sometimes I know, and sometimes I don't know, because I think when you make a command to the universe, to spirit, use me, you have no idea. Like when I first said that, use me when I was 23, because I'd seen the light, I had had a glimpse of it. This book came out, having fun with God. And honestly, um, there was a day that I kind of, I was in a trance, mostly writing it, 
but one one afternoon I said, "Okay, wait a minute. Why why am I writing? Why why aren't I in the studio producing a genre of music that's no one's ever heard of that 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 everyone loves? You know, instead I'm writing." And then that voice said, "Well, you said I could use you." And I and and I totally forgotten because years had passed. I was in my 20s. Now I'm in my 30s when I was writing or 40s. And um, I thought, I said to Spirit, I said, but, you know, we could reach more people through music than we can through words. And I heard nothing. And I thought, okay, so you want to write fine. And so I continued writing. And I've been since then keep saying, use me, use me. So I have no idea what that's going to look like. When you, when you make a command like that, because life is always listening. Spirit always hears us and answers our prayers. Your wish is my command. And so it's, it's interesting. I have no idea. All I know is that I enjoy doing the podcasting. I enjoy counseling people with their grief. I enjoy, you know, cleaning and helping those who can't do for themselves. And who knows where, the, I mean, I have my own desires and my own plans in my head, but spirit has a way of saying, forget that. Here's what we're going to do instead. So I'm just kind of going with the godly flow, if you will. I do make plans, but then, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to happen. So I, I really don't know, you know, how much longer I have or, I mean, I still have the next book to, to write uh, in this book. I do give a, a sample of the book to come, which I still haven't written yet. I need to get that done. But I've also written children's books. There's not a, they're not out yet. You know, everything kind of takes time and money. So, but yeah, right now in this moment, um, yeah, I've been asking for a lot of guidance and wisdom because of all the changes that have been going on in the world and, you know, what my role is. How could I help others with their grief? May I ask, because I'm just personally curious, how has all of this loss in your life and obviously your deep relationship with spirit or God, how is that translated into, this might seem like a weird question, but I, I, I don't know why I'm asking this, honestly, <laughs> but how is that translated into intimacy and relationships with people? Hmm. Because I, I'm curious about that because I think what sometimes, and what, what I wonder too, is when people have such a really strong faith, right? Really strong faith. Sometimes people can say to other grievers, just pray about it or, you know, and, but praying doesn't, you know, there's like, it's, it's an action, right? You're taking an action, but you don't get the answer, right? You don't necessarily get the answer of what to do next. Or, and I know it's like listening to your intuition and you had said like your intuition is really spirit coming through you, but how is all of this in that deep relationship with spirit? translated to because i what i think can happen sometimes is that we we get comfortable and then it can also become a barrier or like this wall that we put up to other people for an intimacy right and i'm not talking like love relationships only although that's included but like deep intimacy because when you've had so much loss mm -hmm. you yeah. can you know yeah. what I mean? Be afraid yeah. to let yourself really yeah. deeply connect with people because of out of fear of losing them too, right? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I've been through that. I've been through that too. I don't want to get too close to people because of, you know, you, you might lose them. Yeah. So I've like, I've experienced that, but then that intuition would be saying to me, well, then you're never going to have really good relationships. If you live like that, that's not living either. You can't be afraid that everyone around you is going to die constantly be in constant fear of that. So I just try to enjoy the moment as much as I can to look at the person and before me and say, wow, this is a unique individual. This is, there's no one like this person. This one, this one is God. Also this person, whether they realize it or not, they're their own creators of their own lives. So I take, try to take that all into consideration, but that is a good question. Cause I did at one point kind of distance myself. I was accused of having a wall, having walls up, you have a wall up, you know, someone would say, I'm like, yeah, okay. And what's your point? <laughs> Obviously, I have it up because of protecting myself from the hurt, mm-hmm. from the pain. This is what, you know, writing has helped me with, you know, kind of letting go of the fear, if you will, of someone close to me dying. You know, I mean, recently, I've had my cat uh, Dash pass away. And I didn't think he would die so soon. I thought Ashley would go before him because Ashley's older. But when I had three cats, so Tasha, when Tasha passed, I thought, okay, so now I'm down to two. And I thought Ashley would go next and Dash and, you know, we can communicate with our cats. He said, no, I'll be next. And I ignored it because I'm thinking, oh, he's just talking crazy talk. But yes, he did go next. And he's come to my, come to me in my dreams. I commanded him to come. I demanded it. I need to see you. And three times he showed up. So he heard me. They can hear us. They can hear us on the other side. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Sometimes I'll ask my mom, I can't find my bathing suit. Where is it? <laughs> and there it was. Like I had a, a flash in my head of where it was. And that's where it was. So when you when you realize, and it's just part of growing. It's it, For me, It's it helps ease the pain to know that they're still with us. They're not really gone. And to be able to talk to them and talk about them from time to time. I mean, some other people might be uncomfortable, but I'm not uncomfortable talking about my mom or dad. You know, I used to be a joke, you know, when people say, well, where are your parents? And I would say, well, they both passed. And I say, well, I'm an orphan. Who wants to adopt me? <laughs> you know? And just because, you know, people would get really serious. And I, I wasn't in that mo- I wasn't in that state of being serious. I was in a state of really enjoying my life. I'm enjoying this moment. You're going to ask me about something that, you know, was in the past painful. You know, I I sometimes make light of it. And then people just look at me like maybe I'm insensitive. But again, what other people are thinking isn't really my main concern. I do sometimes do make light of it, you know. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, knowing that they're still there. Like my father, I haven't seen him in a while, but I'm pretty sure he thinks, okay, she's all right. I'm going to go off and do some of this work because I know her mom's there, you know, which is typical, right? Typical male off doing something else. (laughs) Well, mother is always watching over. Yeah. I know like before we recorded, you had mentioned, you know, your cats and the one passing, the two passing now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, Tasha passed four years ago, but it's um Dash passed a couple months ago. But Ashley looks like she she's an older cat. She's got the she kind of shakes a bit, you know. When she sits, she just shakes. 
and try to get her balance. So, and I don't know how old she is. See, I adopted her at the Humane Society and they, I don't know if they intentionally lied about her age. They might not have known. So they guessed maybe three months. She's a small cat. I thought she was still a kitten, but after, you know, a few months of having her, she went into heat and I'm thinking, I don't know if kittens go into heat and, um, (laughs) you know, but she was, yeah, she was older. She's still the same size. She hasn't grown any bigger. So that's when I realized Okay, so, and I've had her for what, 16, going on 17 years now. So she's, she's up there. She's up there, but she's showing, she's showing the signs, you know, of old age. So I know it's just a matter of time before she goes, I don't want her to go either. I mean, who, you no one wants anybody going, but that's really not very realistic. So. Well, Mm -hmm. and like we've talked about, the reason why too, I asked and and I kind of just alluded to, but like relationships with love relationships and how sometimes too, like pets can become this, this barrier to that intimacy and other relationships of, because animals don't talk back, right. They don't mm-hmm. disappoint you. Mm-hmm. They love unconditionally, mm-hmm. you know? So that's kind of partly why I was going that direction in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to share on that that you're open to sharing? Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. I mean, pets are great in that aspect. But then when, you, when you're dealing with people, and I remember reading this in the, in the book called uh, Mastery of Love, that, you know, cats are who they are. You don't expect them to be like dogs. And, and that's how people are. You know, if somebody has a certain personality to think that they're going to change into, you know, another type of personality is expecting the cat to be like a dog so it's just about accepting people where they're at in their life and and not try to take what they say too personally and I'm still working on that I mean I I mean I'm still a work in progress so I, I try not to make anything more than it is I try to kind of put myself first more and more um which I know others would say that's really selfish But I've had way too many teachers that are very advanced when it comes to spirituality say, they all say the same thing. Put yourself first, love yourself first. Everything begins from within. And once you get that and kind of tune out all that, oh, you're supposed to look after me and do all that kind of stuff. Looking out for number one is looking out for number two, because if you can't, you cannot fill from an empty cup right? Or pour from them an empty cup. So I find when I'm doing this work, because I'm doing this work, I've had a lot of people, strangers even, you know, I'm really grateful for the work you do. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. So I try to make a point to say that to the the guests that are on my podcast to acknowledge that because it's not easy. It is not easy at all. It's very, very draining. I find in the evening times after a certain time, I'm not looking at emails. I'm not checking phone messages. It's my time. Evening time is my time. And if you don't like it, well, I don't know. Just deal with it. It's just my time because I don't want to be a, wake up the next day being irritable and bitchy because I've done that. I was with family one time. I spent a whole month, I think, down in Florida visiting my sister. She's got a, there's a lot of family down there. And I remember feeling really irritated and irritable. And I thought, I asked myself, what's going on? Why are you irritable? Are you hungry? Do you need more sleep? I thought, no. And then the question was, well, when was the last time you spent some me time? 
And I thought, ah, that's what it is. I need to just spend some quiet time to myself. And once I did that, I wasn't irritable anymore. You see what I'm saying? It's the same thing about being selfish and loving yourself first. So we've been taught to give, 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 and put other people first, and then yourself last. And it's so backwards. There's a lot of things we do in this society that is backwards. For example, we should be mourning birth and celebrating death instead of the other way around. But that's not going to change. We're so entrenched in our our um customs if you will our beliefs but it's true we should always be celebrating death although the reason why we mourn is because we're left behind mm-hmm. like anytime i talk to god about well you know a mentor of mine just passed not too long ago and i've been still teary-eyed about it but i'm grateful for him i mean he has nothing to worry about anymore you know he's doesn't have to do anything But, you know, what about the rest of us? Well, who's going to guide us and lead us? And who's going to tell us, you know, you know, you know, what to do or what not to do? And so, yeah, it just, again, lights a bit of a fire under my butt to get out there and do what I need to do before, because you you don't know when your time is ready. You don't know. So I I try. It's, 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 it's balanced because there are relationships that have been a little bit toxic and like, okay, do I reach out to that person? They're a little bit toxic. You know, I don't want to you know, ricochet back into now I've got to, you know, uh, heal all over again, that sort of thing. So again, this is where I kind of go within and listen to the inner voice. Okay, what should I do about this situation? You know, how to, how to, how to handle this or in that, that sort of thing. Can you speak to a little bit what you said about morning birth? Oh, yeah. Well, by that? well, when we come into this physical realm, we're separated, if you will, from the light, uh, separated from the love, that all-encompassing love. And we're having to forget. We're in this forgetfulness of who we are. And sometimes we can go through a whole lifetime and, and not remember who we are, not even be awake. So that's what I mean by the morning and, you know, going through the trials and tribulations that we all go through. Like, I mean, some of the, some of the stories I've heard from other people are heartbreaking. Like this one young man who's lost his, uh, his mother committed suicide. He was six months years old. So he never had that, you know, bond with his mom. And I just, my heart went out to, I just wanted to give him a hug. And this is what I mean. And then, and then when we pass, well, we're going right back home. We're going right back to the love. And so it's a wonderful experience, but we're not taught that in the society. We're not taught about, we're taught to fear death. And when you, when you don't fear death, really, it changes the game. I've had people like in a jokingly way, you know, cause I'm, I'm short and I'm little and, you know, you get a coworker just messing with you saying, what are you going to do about it? And they stand over you. Right. And I'm like, I smile and say, don't ever underestimate size. And they look at me like, oh my gosh, she's crazy. <laughs> she doesn't have any fear, you know? And um, yeah, but it takes, it takes that fear away. When fear is gone, then you could live, you can really live and you really, really laugh, and, you know, and life just seems to be more richer when you release all that fear of what's around the corner, you know, and it's the fear of the unknown. But once you have a, a sneak peek, if a taste test, if you will, the other side and see how awesome it is, You'd never fear death. For me, I wanted it more. But now, now because that's been years ago, I I still look forward to it. But it's not something I brag about and announce on a daily basis. Because then people would start to think I'm suicidal again, which I'm not. I just know that 
what waits for us is is some great reward. You know, it's it's awesome. And I always imagine my um, homecoming party. Everyone, everyone, yeah, it'd be awesome. Like all the fam, you know, everyone that we know personally, like famous people, you know, they're all there, all, all of them welcoming us and the pets, the pets. Oh, the pets. I think about the pets that are there. <laughs> yeah. So, and this is my imagination, of course. I, I have no proof of any of this, but just what I've experienced. So, this is why I look forward to it, but I don't want to go before my pets because then I'm concerned. Okay. Well, you know, they're left behind. Who's going to look after them, that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I stay around for, I wouldn't want to leave them behind or any unfinished work that I needed to do behind. The vision that comes to my mind as I was listening to you talking is it just feels like we're adults in training pants and we're all learning how to come back to that self-love and we're all learning how to, embrace the unconditional love that is there waiting for us. And so many of us look to some outside source for that. And yeah, I just think we're all in these training pants of that's what life is, is to help you to come back to yourself and Mm -hmm. yeah, feel whole in that moment when you do go to the other side, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Yeah. Yes. Um, do you consider yourself a highly sensitive person, empath, yes. highly sensitive? Yeah, I never used to, but I, I remember reading a few articles about, you know, what it is to be an empath, the signs, the feelings. And I thought, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, I can, I'm very sensitive. I remember calling one of my moms. She's, I have, when my mom died, I, I had, I inherited five moms. Okay, uh, two aunts, uh, a lady that helped raise me, one of my mom's best friend, and another lady that um, uh, adopted me when I was 20 years old. <clears throat> and it was, the yeah, 20. I said to her, my name's Diane. And um, I said, Diane, how old are you? She goes, I'm 31. I said, well, I'm 20. That's only 11 years different. She goes, oh, let me have this. I've always wanted a data. You know, she has her Jamaican accent. And it was her. Um, I could feel her praying for me. It was one evening and I don't usually call her in the evenings. It's usually on weekends. But this one evening I called her and she goes, oh, I was just praying for you. And I said, I know. That's why I called. And there was silence. I said, you don't believe me, do you? Because she's kind of skeptical about that kind of stuff. A lot of people are. Mm-hmm. And she goes, no, I know. I believe you. And I'm like, okay, it doesn't matter. But I called because I felt you were praying for me. And I wanted to thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. Do you think you're a bit of a medium? You know, I was talking to a lady that is a medium on my podcast, and I expressed um, an interest in getting to to um, take a course on that and to just fine tune it. Because a lot of people that grieve, the first pl- person they go to is a medium, and then maybe they'll get the counseling or coaching. So, but that's another thing I'm going to look into is the medium, because yeah, I think that's. A a lot of the reason why people do that is just from conversations I've had and the work that I've done and my own personal experience is I think there's this, a lot of incomplete feelings, right? And so we're looking for some sort of closure, resolution, not maybe closure might not be the right word, but um, I think it brings comfort to a lot of people who might be skeptical what's on the other side, right? Like Mm -hmm. it could be affirming for them. It could 
actually make people uncomfortable. Like that was, that was too much. Right. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to be open to receive. And I think if you're going to a medium, you're obviously open to receiving something. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're obviously very open and that's why you've done the things that you've done and had you know, the experiences you've had. I, this is such a rich conversation. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you um, would like to share with my audience? Well, yes. Um, I guess when it comes to death and loss, that you're not alone. There, there are lots of resources. There's uh, Facebook groups. There's probably maybe groups in the area. I don't know how things are in the States. I think you're in the States. If things are opened up, hopefully, because it's, it's, I think it's best to get together with people so you can get hugs. Hugs are so therapeutic. Oh my God. I love hugs. And so, but yeah, just asking for the guidance, asking for whatever you need, you will get, just ask and you shall receive. It's so, so simple. Like for me, somebody read my book and said to me, wow, you, you're really strong. You've got a lot of strength. And after she said that, I thought, well, where did I get that? And I remember going back to that and I like, I, I asked for it. I didn't just ask for it. I demanded it. Oh, yeah, I demanded. I'll demand sometimes. I'll just talk to God like God's my servant. Give me this and give me that. Well, in a, in a kind way. I will just command the strength because I, I didn't have strength to carry on. And so I just commanded it. And and that's where I got the strength. But you could, you could command anything, ask for anything. In grief recovery, we talk about well, one of the myths of grief is be strong. And mm-hmm. it's something that, and I've asked the question lately on the podcast, like, what does it mean to be strong? Like, what does that really actually mean? Mm-hmm. Because we can be strong or we can be human. You know, we're not robots. And to put on a front that I'm fine and I'm okay, when really inside we're a mess, mm-hmm. which is okay too, mm-hmm. right? So I guess, what is your answer to that? Like, what does it mean to be strong? That's you? a good question. I, I think it means acknowledging that you, you aren't always strong, that, you know, you're, you're feeling the emotions and allowing the emotions instead of resisting it. You know, if you feel angry, it's okay. Be angry, you know, punch a pillow, go for a walk. I don't know, do something that'll help you relieve that energy because it'll affect you physically. You don't want disease, not at this time. But yeah, it's it just means just allowing yourself to be how you're feeling and knowing what you need and knowing also to what your limitations are. I mean, there there may be days when you just don't want to get out of bed. It, honor it. Honor your feelings. You know, we just honor what it is, whatever it is that you're feeling, because that is part of the healing. Healing is feeling. Or feeling is healing. Somebody said that to me once. It's so true. Feeling is healing. So for me, that is strength. Just knowing what you need and how to uh, honor yourself. And yeah, because some people, they have no clue of how to go about certain things. And, um, but, you know, I, I do believe our loved ones and spirit are always with us, guiding us, whether we realize it or not. We might not see the signs or feel them or sense them or see them in dreams, but they're there. They're there. So share a little bit where people can connect with you and find your work and work with you. And well, um, they can uh, connect with me via email, grieve at gmail.com. 
to reach out. I also have a website, grievewithese.com. Can they connect with you through your website? Do you have a contact? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do have a contact page on the website. I do have a book called uh, Having Fun with God. You could either buy it on Amazon, get the paperback, or you could order, uh, get the free ebook on, on the website. It's on the main page. And your podcast? Yes, I almost forgot. Yeah, and I do have a podcast. That's also, everything's pretty much on the website. Okay. I do have uh, all the podcasts you can listen to are on the website as well. And I will put a link to that in the show notes and also to the couple of the resources you mentioned as, as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Martika, and for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.